it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. We come to you from Midtown Manhattan, but we're a national show. Brett Baer standing by. Rich Lowry also following up, editor of National Review. And before we get to Brett, as we get set for day two after Labor Day, no one can... Uh, with a straight face, actually say the election's too far away. It doesn't matter. No one's paying attention. I think people are paying attention, and there's so much to look at, too. So uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So I can't speculate on North Korea's motives. Uh, what I can say is this. Providing weapons to Russia for use on the battlefield is not going to reflect well on North Korea, and they will pay a price for this. Uh, in the international community. Right. Uh, they are really worried about their reputation internationally. Wow, if, if their profile drops or their Q rating diminishes, that'll really get their attention. The foreign policy follies. This administration embarrassed everywhere you look, from China uh, breaching our bases to North Korea cutting a deal with Russia and empty threats from Jake and Joe. Number two. This is coming back unless we stop it from happening. That's why I introduced this legislation, and I'm going to force the Democrats to vote on it. If they say the mask mandates are not coming back, then come to the Senate floor, vote with us, and say no more mask mandates. Thank you, Senator J.D. Vance. Masking up, to quote John McEnroe, you cannot be serious. And I will not partake in this hygiene theater, and you shouldn't either, and your kids shouldn't. But in Maryland, at least, they are. Number one. President Biden is the oldest president in U.S. history. Why does White House staff treat him like a baby? No one treats the president of the United States, the commander-in-chief, uh, like a baby. So there's this book that says oh, ridiculous. when staff it's a ridiculous back. claim. Right. Uh, this is the craziest exchange ever. 2024, Biden reset after a devastating Wall Street Journal poll has him tied with Donald Trump. As age and his utter confusion has seven out of ten people saying he's too old, uh, I believe inept. Also, the push to KO Trump with the 14th Amendment is all front and center and our number one of the big three. And the number one everywhere at Fox, Brett Baer, chief political correspondent, Fox News anchor, host of Special Report, getting set to host his show any minute. Uh, Brett, how you doing? Hey, Brian. Good morning. Uh, first thing first, this thing is, uh, this thing is getting uh, pretty heated on the campaign trail, uh, the Biden administration, and this tell-all book. It's kind of interesting. I never really heard of this author but to give ex- Bob Woodward like access for two years, are they? Do you sense that they're surprised that some of this stuff is negative? I do. I mean, just by their answers at the White House briefing room, um, you know, they're not going down those roads. But their quotes from the president, from different officials within the president's orbit, and uh, it does not make him look good. And. You know, that adds to what we've seen over the last week about concerns about his age, concerns about can he do it. Um, This is a dangerous kind of tinderbox for politically uh, this president. So just seeing in this guy's name, uh, this uh, this guy's name, I actually never heard of him. uh, But he writes a book and he says that the president was ready uh, to renege on a 2020 campaign promise to open up the U.S. southern border to thousands of illegal immigrants during the fear 
during his time. When he realized that wouldn't be practical, he had meltdown just two months before. And it was Anthony Blinken that says, well, you got to do it. You got to fulfill a campaign promise. Man, if he had won with his original instincts, Brett, Democratic governors and mayors might not be at each other's throats, and they might not all be mad at the president of the United States because the illegal immigrant problem in our country is overwhelming almost every major city. And in the case of Massachusetts, the state. Yeah, exactly. And they're calling states of emergency, including in Massachusetts, which, by the way, obviously was a sanctuary state. And some of these cities are sanctuary cities that are not saying we want to be sanctuaries anymore. Um, So the numbers are overwhelming. And it's um, every aspect of life in a city that's dealing with an influx um, feels it, you know, not only crime, but um, schools, health care. Uh, it's across the board, and uh, I think you're going to see more and more of these Democratic mayors and governors and senators along the border states uh, speaking out. You know, you've got Mark Kelly, uh, Kirsten Cinema, you've got others who are pretty, being pretty vocal. Right, but not nearly vocal enough. I'm wondering, I mean, if it's me, for one thing, I looked at the numbers. They want to blame Governor Abbott and DeSantis to a degree for the problems they're having in their city, for taking illegal immigrants and sending them to these cities. But that's a small number. I think it's 35,000 total. The rest are getting there on their own. Tribe being El Paso. You know, I mean, those numbers are astronomical in in those towns. Um, So, right, it's – not not all those governors. It was seen as a political stunt. Uh, but now, you know, obviously it's turned the tide uh, politically. So I, I know on Sunday you take the day off uh, to golf and win tournaments. Uh, but <laughs> on, on this Sunday, the, they got the Wall Street Journal poll. And I just want you to hear what they were saying, how astounded they were that it's 46-46 despite Trump's 90-plus counts against him in four separate cases. It is kind of shocking in a way that despite all of the baggage that Donald Trump carries, he's tied with Joe Biden right now. It's an alarm bell for Democrats who think that because of these indictments, he's going to automatically lose a general election. This poll suggests no. It's a very competitive race, 46 to 46 percent. As you say, we can't be certain about polls, certainly as far out. But it suggests that this is not in any way uh, a gimme for the Democrats, despite former President Trump's legal trouble. People were somewhat hopeful that we would be in a different place by now. Uh, And now they're starting to come to the realization that, hey, this is we might actually have Donald Trump as the nominee and Joe Biden as the nominee. And this is something that 70 percent of the people in America do not want. Man on the right is the former president of the United States with four indictments. And he's still tied with Joe Biden in this poll. I mean, Brett, out of everything you studied of all the seminars that Brett Hume has given you in different uh, in the coffee (laughs) on the in the break room. Have you ever seen anything like this in your life? No, no, <laughs> never. There's no blueprint. There's no there's no map for where we are. And with each indictment comes this feeling, and it's showing up in polls, uh, that these are political movements and that uh, these prosecutors are somehow talking to each other about placing trial dates um, in – in the way of the 2024 campaign season, you know, on uh, the Iowa caucuses day near Super Tuesday, the day before. And 
you know, there's, it's not proven, but that is the allegation, and it's pretty easy to connect the dots. So even independents and maybe not Trump Republicans have felt this sympathy, and that's showing up in polls, and it's showing up in the punditry saying, wait, he could win. So something else is coming back. Uh, how old are your kids? What, what grade are they in? 16 and 13, so they're 10th and so it looks like, you know, you've seen what's happened in Maryland. They're making these kids mask up again, even though it affects yeah. their grades and they're not really affected by this variant. We have a first lady of the United States who's been boosted twice, shot twice, uh, got the shot twice, and that she's had it twice. And and we're supposed to now vaccinate children. And now at least uh, the vaccination aside, they have to at least mask up. When we you had Dr. Marty McCary on, I had him on. The studies reveal that masks do almost no good. Listen, for example, to Anthony Fauci all over the place on this. Cut fifteen. People should not be walking around with masks. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And masks are protective, and we. But have- it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. Good that you're vaccinated, but in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. You are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected, and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. Okay, that's a little of the chaos that I made you live through again, which (laughs) I'm beginning to live through again. Brett, where's this going to go? Politics and reality. I don't know. I think it's going to be a powerful political um, issue in this election. I think that there will be uh, some people that, point to past decisions as um, as horrible. And in the big picture, we as a country are going to look back at the shutting down of our entire government um, and our country as a really bad public policy issue. That said, there's going to be this growing fear again, and some people are going to go down that road. It's just that we are not going to handle it the same way. People won't let it. Uh, I just don't think that they're going to let it happen that same way. It's going to be interesting. So, uh, Brett, we have a second debate coming up in September. Is there a sense that we're going to have the same size field right now? Five have qualified already. Uh, Trump, we don't know if he's going to do it or not. So let's just say there's five from last time. Um, uh, Do you think that we're going to still be at eight? I don't. I think it's going to pare down. I think um, because the polling uh, stipulation goes up, uh, the donation three percent goes right? up. Yeah, and um, and you got to have fifty thousand donors, and you know it's it's just another level. I don't think that former President Trump is going to go. I think he's been pretty clear about that, and so you know potentially you could have six or five on the stage, and that makes it a lot different conversation. As you know, you know, time-wise, spinning the plates, <laughs> if Vice President Pence has had his coffee, you know, it's all, all the different uh, aspects of the debate. Yeah, I just think that in retrospect, Vivek Ramaswamy was a gift for Nikki Haley and Mike Pence because oh, they're, sure. the foreign policy statements, they couldn't wait to challenge it, and he couldn't wait to defend it. And therefore, you had those unscripted moments, correct? Yeah, and it's uh, the other reason that uh, Governor DeSantis did not come under fire. I mean, people going in thought that he was going to be as the leading, you know, front runner behind former President Trump, be the target. But because of the foreign policy statements by Vivek, I think uh, he became the target, and likely still will be. 
So lastly, before I let you go, I want to prove to the audience how wide a swath you have and a bigger portfolio that you carry with you. I'm going to bring you to foreign policy. Jake Sullivan, when he heard that North Korea will be visiting Russia and probably help him out with arms, cut 26. So I can't speculate on North Korea's motives. Uh, what I can say is this. Providing weapons to Russia for use on the battlefield to attack grain silos and the heating infrastructure of major cities as we head into winter uh, to try to conquer territory that belongs to another sovereign nation. This is not going to reflect well on North Korea. So they are so concerned about their reputation. <laughs> I am so sure they're going to back out now. I mean, those are yeah. tough words from Jake Sullivan, Brett. How yeah. do you think that, how do you think that's reverberating? Right. You know, when they kill large swaths of their own people ah. and you know, mass execution, um, they're also really concerned about their public relations. I think that that is a silly statement. And that, um, the North is always looking to be provocative and to do something and thumb its nose at the U.S., especially when we ignore them. Um, so I think it is problematic, the, the connection between North Korea and Russia, but Russia and China – um, you know, there's all kinds of uh, elements of linkages of the Legion of Doom with all these countries, and uh, it's not good for the U.S. It's not, but the uh, the option would have been let Ukraine fall to Russia, and those relationships would have still been there, not as fortified perhaps. But to me, there's no doubt that it's in America's interest that North Korea be successful, excuse me, Ukraine be successful. A lot of Republicans are going to point out the relationship between China, Russia, and North Korea, and say, and Iran, and say, see what we've done by helping Ukraine. I think that's that's a weak argument, but it seems to be resonating on the right. Is that what you're finding? It does. It does because people are saying, take care of our borders, take care of our crime, take care of our economy. It's it, you know we see that, but. You know, these are fighting. This is fighting that is not U.S. soldiers. This is Ukrainians. And um, and listen, if if Putin was allowed to roll through, that would send its own message to the world um, and make us look weaker. Brett, when's your book coming out? October 10th, October 10th, to rescue the Constitution, George Washington and the Fragile American Experiment. And I appreciate the blurb. Uh, yes. Brian Kilmeade endorsed. Um, but it should be good. It's founding fathers. It's a so distraught look at um, at the effort to make the constitution and to hold the country together. We almost didn't. We almost didn't do it. Yeah, it was. I uh, I love that you picked this topic and jealous that you did because <laughs> because Washington was sitting there in Mount Vernon going, okay, look what I did. I'm going to have some visitors. They realize it's all falling apart, and they grabbed him back like Godfather three, and they yeah. said pulled him back, and he became a two term president. And our first, well, not for him. He would we would have been really, you know, going backwards. So please, let's make sure George Washington doesn't get canceled. Can we do that <laughs> exactly. at least until after your book comes out? <laughs> right. Exactly. All right, Brett. I look forward to, and it was an honor to blurb it. Uh, and Brett, you did the same for me coming out in November. So uh, Brett Bear, thank you so much. Now you can start your day officially and get dressed. All right. We'll All see right. you. Rich Lowry in 10 minutes, but you're next. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade.
Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. In the case of Biden, clearly he doesn't seem to be as cogent and as lucid as we would like him to be. My bigger point was this. It is a disgrace for the Democratic Party to call themselves progressives when they're virtually begging an 82-year-old man at election time to run for re-election. That is the point that I was making. You're supposed to be progressive, right? You're supposed to be moving forward. You're supposed to be thinking forward. You're supposed to be being innovative and younger and all of this other stuff. And you're leaning on the hopes and the prayers of an 82-year-old who would be Joe Biden. He's 80 right now. He'd be going 81. He'll be 82 at the time of re-election if that were to happen. To depend on him is an indictment against the Democratic Party. So for many reasons, uh... We know Stephen A. Smith wants to do more than sports. I think he wants a late night show right after this. So he called in and he he spoke to uh, Sean Hannity last night. He also says that uh, Donald Trump acts beneath the office, if I was to paraphrase exactly what he said. Doesn't like his behavior. But, I mean, obviously, if you read Stephen A. Smith's book, he's no dug-in Democrat. I think he's a coachable Republican who believes in bootstraps, Whatever it takes, you know, life isn't fair and he'll do whatever it takes to be successful. He's had ups and downs. And right now he might be the premier personality in sports, but wants to do more. Is any doubt what he said was correct? I I don't understand it. And I think I have a different take, though, on what he just said. They're begging him to do it. I don't think they're begging him to do it. I think they would love for him to step aside. But with the power of the Oval Office, have an Air Force One, the money behind to uh, to raise money and to be to use that powerhouse. You have no shot if you challenge it. I mean, remember Ted Kennedy challenged Jimmy Carter, very unpopular president, hostage crisis. Even a Kennedy couldn't do it. Remember Ronald Reagan challenged Gerald Ford, never elected vice president. Nixon resigns. He becomes he was named vice president. Nixon resigns. He becomes president. Reagan couldn't do it. So when you look at Newsom, Pritzker and others, they probably say, is it worth taking a run at this guy? And if I do, what's going to be left? Am I going to lose and then hurt myself with the party bosses when I do decide to run? So I feel Democrats are saying, well, what am I going to do? Let them either way. If he wins, I get to run in 28. And if he loses, I run in 28. What's the big deal? So I don't know if they're begging him. I don't think anyone's begging him. His wife should step in and tell him not to run. But right now, he's the best hope for Republicans. Most of those other guys are better campaigners. But the problem with them is their track record. Yeah, their baseball card, the back of it. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I've never seen anything like this with Donald Trump. I mean, what doesn't kill you make you stronger? I mean, being convicted, I mean, being indicted. That's making them stronger, raising $10 million using an ugly mugshot uh, to raise money. This is a movement. And anyone who thinks that you can apply the old political rules to trying to defeat this candidate based on he's scary, he's ugly, whatever you might want to call him, 
this is a movement, and we have to respect the fact that it's a movement. And normally, I like Donna Brazil, but normally when I look at these uh, on Sunday shows and I look for sound bites, I always just fast forward her because I know what she, what she says is inauthentic. It's just to move the Democratic cause. I want to know what people think. That's what made Chris Christie one of the best pundits on when he was doing the Sunday shows with Stephanopoulos. Because, you know, yeah, of course, we know he doesn't like Trump. But he would also point out that this is a this case is terrible against Trump or this is wrong and and why people are still supporting him. But she was alarmed this weekend. She said I've ne- she really seemed disjointed that Trump is in a flat footed tie with four indictments and a 90 plus counts was Rich Lowry. After all, he's out of the National Review. Uh, he's been studying the Republican causes and beliefs and conservative causes for years, Rich, and, and studied elections. When that Wall Street Journal poll came out, you wrote a column about it. And one thing that stuck out with you is Trump's got 59 to 13 over the next leading contender at DeSantis, along with being in tie with the current president. Why? How? Well, it's not surprising, though, right? I'm sure we talked about this prior to the first one, the Bragg indictment, that the indictments were going to help Trump. I mean, it, that, that seemed inevitable. It seemed obvious for anyone who follows Republicans' politics closely or is inside Republican politics. You could tell from the reaction to the Mar-a-Lago raid that that's what the indictments were going to do. And sure enough, they've done it. And you know, the, the, the extraordinary thing about that Wall Street Journal poll is basically you got – on the Democratic side and on the Republican side, you have 60-10 races, more or less, more, more or less, right? And on one, you have a, a, an incumbent president running against a, a no-hoper, you know, Robert uh, Kennedy Jr. And on the Republican side, you have a president, uh, former president who lost, but might as well be the incumbent sitting president, given how strong he is, running against a guy, you know, highly touted, still has, has advantages, but is kind of um, thinking like a no-hoper, Ron DeSantis. So it's um, it's just a crushing a crushing lead. You know, it looks a little different in Iowa, a little softer there. DeSantis, you know, one, one of the the bright spots for him. If you ask first, second choice, if you ask, you know, actively considering, he's right up there with Trump. The problem is, you know, Trump is like 53 first choice and then 20 second choice, and DeSantis is like 16 first choice and then 50 second choice. So maybe that he's just kind of always well regarded and never actually gets the support or the votes. But as long as as long as people are open to him, it's in theory salvageable, you know, um, in, in the, the early states and especially Iowa. But it's um, but at the moment, it's not looking like much of a race. Uh, it isn't. And it's and the thing is, every time there's an indictment or this 14th Amendment cause, it doesn't matter what Nikki Haley says on the stump. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. Ron DeSantis even does during a hurricane because Trump dominates. If you flip around, all they do is talk about his cases and the same Russia-like leaks to CNN, uh, according to investigators, they're now expanding uh, their scope. And they might include additional charges. And the same thing that bled the Russia story for years, they are doing the same game plan now. Uh, and now they're pushing for the 14th Amendment, which has little hope, according to most experts, of being validated if it goes up to the Supreme Court. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, I mean, the, the idea that he's like Jefferson Davis and commanding this this insurrection, it was, a, it was a riot. It was a bad day. We've talked about that a lot. Never should have happened. 
um, tr- Trump had a role, you know, and he should have uh, uh, sh- done more to, to shut it down m- more quickly. But that doesn't make it an insurrection. Doesn't mean he's disqualified. So it's just another, it's another fantasy. And what are Republicans supposed to conclude when you have this, this special counsel who s- stretches the interpretation of the law to indict him on the January 6th related stuff, and then they want to try him on it uh, before the day before Super Tuesday? Uh, what do you, what are you supposed to conclude from that? Right? It doesn't take much suspicion or any to, to figure. Well, they they just don't want this guy to run. Uh, and they don't. You know, a lot of them don't. What, whatever your view of the law is, so so that I mean, that's powering Trump. And you know, and it's also credit where it's due. His team, small but uh, experienced and extremely shrewd. And he's a he's a branding genius. Like n- no one has ever had a, a, a better, more powerful mugshot in the history of the United States. So, Rich, when I talk to you after the 2022 midterms, you're like, look. Even if Trump gets a nominee, he's not going to get enough to win the general, and most that was most conventional thought. Do you think of all those things you just said with four indictments, the overreach in Georgia and New York specifically, when you and then the timing of these dates and the judge said, I can't have politics be involved and, and everything that's going on right now, do you believe that he has brought people back to his camp that were not there? Trump? Yeah. Yeah, um, there's a a poll. There's been a a lot last couple days, so I get um, confused. But maybe you'll recall which one this is. But it had. had, Oh, I think maybe it was Doug Schoen's outfit did it. They uh, they had Biden's approval rate at 44, which kind of high. You know, other polls have it lower. And they had Trump's retrospective job approval rating at 52. There's one of these polls, the NBC News poll or Wall Street Journal poll, that asked, you know, who, who had more positive accomplishments in office. You know, has it been Biden so far or Trump? And, and Trump leads on that metric. So, look, I mean, it's going to be hard to predict what, what happens next year if Trump's the nominee and, and you get a conviction uh, or, or just the, these trials tying him down. But for, you know, all the evidence before us right now points to what would be a really close race, like 16 and like 20. So since, since, since it's happened twice before, maybe we shouldn't be surprised that, that the third time is looking like it, it, would, it would be a rerun of those. So abortion was the reason why there wasn't a route uh, on the midterms, uh, in my view, and I think it's most, conv- most, most views. Uh, the Roe v. Wade, the, the Republicans not having a message, and then making it as if they're torturing women and taking away their rights like it's 1919 again, trying to fight against giving women the right to vote. Whatever, it worked for Democrats. It stopped the bleeding. So now this time we might have another issue not anticipated, and that is a self-inflicted wound from President Biden to open up the borders. And instead of destroying El Paso and uh, the Rio Grande River and all of Arizona, those border communities, and Tucson, it's killing the major cities and turning Democrat against Democrat. Axios today, something we've been talking about, tensions between the Biden administration, local Democrats coming to a head as shelters around the country, especially here in New York, overflow and thousands of migrants arrive in major cities. President Biden is stuck between growing calls to help Dems controlled cities and the politics of the vulnerable issue and the administration views as legal handcuffs prohibiting them for action. That is a generous description of a choice. Yeah. The other one is they're afraid of chopping down on the border and alienating uh, their open borders people and what they think is their Democratic, their Hispanic Democrats. Yeah, so that's their political calculation. It's it's 
completely stupid. I mean, um, more border enforcement. <clears throat> excuse me, would be like a seventy thirty issue. Yeah. The the kind of the radicals on a, on immigration. Yeah, they'll squat. They'll talk to reporters. You know, they'll go and cry at the border or whatever. But where are they going to go? One, do they have troops? No, they don't have troops. Political troops. And two, you know, they're not going to vote for Trump. And uh, and you alleviate this this pressure being felt all around the country. You know, and and you, know, you have New York City complaining about uh, the. Feds and Republican governors sending migrants their way, and then you have the localities around New York City complaining about New York City sending migrants their way. So it's kind of past the potato um, kind of uh, politics on this, and the, the ultimate source is just just doing more to stop it at the border. And the idea that it's illegal or they can't do that is crazy. Trump Trump did it. Um, you know, the, the pandemic helped. It discouraged people, and, and uh, Title 42, Section 40, Title 42, right? That that helped as well. But but they they were getting a handle on it even prior to that with the the migration protocols. Uh, this remain in Mexico, and you could do if you wanted to do all that again, you could. But it takes will, and they they don't. I think the Republicans have a strategy to get in and talk to these families because they're hopping on camera saying. For example, in New York, 19,500 kids are flooding into these classrooms, already overcrowded mm-hmm. and under, understaffed, and a lot of them don't speak English. Those families understand that Trump wanted to end the sanctuary state, uh, city status. He went through the mm-hmm. courts to do it. They understand that when it comes to crime, he tried to send in federal troops, and it was rejected, and he was labeled as the problem in Portland uh, and around the country. So you could say you don't like his border policies, but you can't say that he wasn't doing everything possible, mm-hmm. including putting tariffs on Mexico to make them put Marines on their border. So, oh, I don't like those issues. They're too tough. Okay. You can't say he wasn't trying. So yeah. at least the objective the, the was correct. You might not like the, on the record on immigration. He got yeah. cooperation from these Northern Triangle countries. He, he got cooperation from AMLO down in Mexico, who does not like, does not like us, does not like the United States, because he, he was willing to use his carrot and stick diplomacy with, with as appropriate an emphasis on the stick. You know, I'm going to cut off aid to Northern Triangle countries. You know, people freaked out. How can you do that? They're so poor already. It would just make the situation worse. No, the goal was to, to get them to cooperate in dealing with the situation and the problem. Same thing uh, with Mexico, and obviously there's there's no will or wherewithal yeah. to do the same thing in, in this administration. Lastly, you wrote a column about a book that's out making a lot of news, Why Empires Fall, Rome, America, and the Future of the West, and it, it is a little bit apocalyptic uh, for people who want to see America's demise. You say America has issues, but it's not, it's not an empire in decline. Yeah, I mean, we might be we might be in in decline, but but certainly we're we're um, the best country, the most powerful country in the world, and the, and the best geopolitical position of any country in the world. There's no doubt about that. And uh, you know, people point to various similarities with Rome, and sure, there's some, but the main thing was that that Rome was beset by civil war after civil war, had no uh, legitimate process for secession of the empires em- emperors. So every time someone had a military success somewhere out in the field, they turned the troops around and head towards Rome. You know, so you know, it's not as like the first armor division is marching towards Washington right now. And then you had, you know, barbarian invaders. And, yeah, we have a lot of migrants coming in, but you know, they, they want to come here and get jobs, you know, for better or worse. They're not, uh, you know, big national groupings with military leaders uh, besieging Washington. So so all, the, all those comparisons with Rome are just completely overwrought. Uh, you can find that all in the National Review. All right, Rich, exciting time. All, uh, all right. We keep saying Thanks, this, Brian. but unprecedented. But I'll talk to you soon. Talk soon.
1-866-408-7669. I'll finish up with your calls. Or if you want to write me, BrianKillMe.com. Click on comments. It goes to my website, and then it'll go right to my email. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. With respect to Iran, I would just point out that under the administration before the previous guy, Iran's nuclear program was in a box. The last guy let it out of the box. We are now trying to manage the results of that decision, and we are doing so while deterring Iran from going for a nuclear weapon. We have thus far been able to do that. It's something we remain vigilant about every day. Uh, Jake Sullivan's an embarrassment. Number one, you were entering in a bad deal that couldn't even pass this Democratic-controlled Senate under Barack Obama. That was a nuclear deal that was full of flaws and was going to control an enemy country and alienate Israel at the same time make Saudi Arabia uh, uh, put them on the outs, where they are right now. So, Jake Sullivan, you should understand, too, and you do understand this, that President Trump was putting them in a box. He was isolating them, putting on sanctions on that country in a way that not many people have ever seen before. They were on their back. Had Trump been reelected, they would have been forced into uh, doing something, either fighting us or capitulating. They could not exist anymore with the holistic sanctions on them. But instead, you dropped your, uh, you dropped your guard in, U- uh, in Ukraine You embarrassed us in Afghanistan, and now with absolutely no leverage, you're trying to do a deal with Iran and blaming the previous administration for getting out of a nuclear deal that they were clearly ready to breach that did not allow for any one-on-one visual visual inspections. You could only do it from cameras. So Jake Sullivan is an embarrassment. And keep this in mind. Over the weekend, the president of the United States said the previous guy, the big builder, didn't build a damn thing. He had Infrastructure Week. It became a national joke. If you look back at Infrastructure Week that the president announced, which he couldn't wait to get going, do you know every time that he did something like that, up came a Russia allegation, something that would totally distract everybody so he couldn't really build momentum in the House and Senate and go over there and do traditional things when you want to sell Social Security reform or tax reform? You got to go talk to the American people. You do some uh, you do some grandstanding around the country, and then you come back and you get Congress to sell it for you, and you see what you can do. But every time he tried to get it going, out came this Russia, phony Russia link to the Trump campaign and the Trump presidency. You know who was behind that? Jake Sullivan. You watch him on television. You see his links to Mark Elias when he was out of power, no longer working for Barack Obama. And he got what he wanted. He's got a prominent position with a zombie president and administration where he can call his own shots because the president doesn't even know what's going on. And by the way, let's speak about the president for a second. What was he like behind the scenes? Evidently volatile. When things would get a little angry, things would get tough, he'd blow up at his staff if he feels as though things weren't going his way. Here's Frank Fora talking about whether whether he believes believes that Joe Biden will run again at his age from what he saw – over the last two years, cut 11. If at the end of this calendar year, Joe Biden announces that he's not going to seek a second term, based on all your reporting, how much of a surprise will that be to you? I would say it would, it would, be, a small, it would be a surprise to me, I mean, but it wouldn't be a total surprise. It wouldn't to be me. a total shock. It wouldn't be a total shock. Why when, is that? He, when he talks about his, his life, he uses this word fate constantly. And Joe Biden is a very 
religious guy. And fate is a word loaded with religious meaning. And he always talks about he can't say where fate goes. And so I always, when I hear that, to me, it's the ellipses in the sentence when he's talking about his own future that I account for in thinking about his calculus. Yeah, I do believe he is the Republicans' best chance to win. So they want to push him, get to the bottom of things with this investigation, but not push him out. As long as he wants to stay in, the way I understand it, no one's going to move him. Because he's got the machine. Even Barack Obama going to visit him is not going to do much. He's not the president. Joe Biden is. John writes me about Trump. And he said Trump needs to attend the next debate and essentially say they are trying to stack up so many days and counts against me that I want to make sure people have the opportunity to listen to my plan for the future. In fact, the talking heads seem shocked that all four indictments I am still leading. Who knows? They may never dream up some. Uh, they may never dream up some more to foul up the election. And that is true. As Mark Levin writes in his new book, why is it that Democrats are always trying to make some crazy thing happen when it comes to voting? Instead of just showing up on Tuesday, have absentee balloting, uh, absentee voting, if it need be, you're in the military, you're traveling, or you're, you're injured, wounded, uh, for whatever reason. Instead, they want to have ballot harvesting. They want to have drop boxes. They want to have uh, voting month, not voting day. So that's the big worry that... Uh, that there's going to be something you can't track that's going on. And what worries me now is I think we're Democrats are waiting on the sideline to spring something on Republicans after John Donald Trump gets the nomination, should he hold on and have the 14th Amendment out there. As Molly Hemingway brought up, he, she believes the plan is to make it ineligible on certain states, most of which will be blue states. And if he's not eligible, people might, well, okay, he's not going to win California's anyway. He's not going to win New York anyway. What is the big deal? Well, the big deal would be the undercard. Uh, if you don't come out for the president, most of the time you just don't come out if you don't like the president. And that would hurt him in the House where there's very, room, very little room for error and maybe help the Democrats keep the Senate. I'm keeping an eye on that story. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show, Wednesday. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. All right, everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Brian Kilmeade Show. The latest minutes of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Uh, we are the epicenter for many things. I guess Broadway would be one. A lot of times people think they're the most valued sport franchise are in New York. Mets, Yankees. Yankees might be the number one. And then the Giants might be well, way up there. And the Jets have increased their value. We're also number one for illegal immigrants. Uh, so that's something else that we did not want that honor. But no one's even a close second. I'm not even talking about the border states, border cities. We are bigger. And it is so out of control now. And no end in sight. Democrats are turning on Democrats. But let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So I can't speculate on North Korea's motives. Uh, what I can say is this. Providing weapons to Russia for use on the battlefield is not going to reflect well on North Korea. <laughs> Foreign policy follies. The administration's embarrassed everywhere you look. From China breaching our bases in North to North Korea, cutting a deal with Russia, and empty threats from Jake and Joe. 
Number two. This is coming back unless we stop it from happening. That's why I introduced this legislation, and I'm going to force the Democrats to vote on it. If they say the mask mandates are not coming back, then come to the Senate floor, vote with us, and say no more mask mandates. Uh, that is J.D. Vance. I give him great credit. Masking up. To quote John McEnroe, you cannot be serious. And I will not partake in this hygiene theater, and you should not either. But they're making kids do it, and parents feel like they have no say again. Number one. President Biden is the oldest president in U.S. history. Why does White House staff treat him like a baby? No one treats the president of the United States, the commander-in-chief, uh, like a baby. So there's this book that says That's ridiculous. when staff That's a ridiculous back, claim. But it's in a book when you gave a guy access for two years and he writes a book and he quotes, that's how the president feels. What do you mean? That's your answer? It's terrible. 2024, the Biden reset. After a devastating Wall Street Journal poll, which has him in a dead flat-footed tie with Donald Trump, an age in utter confusion has seven out of every ten people saying he is too old. I say inept. There is panic. They are rejiggering. They are taking out new ads. Also, the push to KO Trump. With the 14th Amendment, picks up steam. And with me, let's bring in Tom Dupree, former Deputy Assistant Attorney General, and seen a lot. Tom, I'm not going to debate old 90-plus counts on the uh, former President of the United States who wants to be the future President of the United States, but it's not hurting him in the polls. How do you explain that? Yeah, well, Brian, first, thanks for having me on. And that is one of the great surprises, I guess, of, of uh, 2023 is that everyone thought the conventional wisdom is, look, you know, you're a presidential candidate and you get indicted, it's game over, that you're going to tank in the polls, no one will ever vote for you, your support will dry up instantaneously. And what we've been seeing has turned the conventional wisdom on its head. The opposite has happened. I mean, just kind of re- remarkable as it may be, the former president gains increased strength with each successive indictment. Um, it does not seem to be having any harmful effect um, on his, his base core of supporters. Uh, he's getting new voters coming into his camp. And so I think all the political analysts and prognosticators who had said that this would spell doom for the Trump campaign if and when he got indicted are having to eat their words because he just seems to be getting stronger and stronger in the polls as the days go on and the indictments pile up. You know, the early theory was he's going to get the nomination, but it'll be so weak and he can't get the presidency. And now uh, when people see so much politics in this, including the civil cases uh, that coming up this fall with Letitia James saying you overestimated the values of your property to get money. Really? Any banks complaining? Nope. Any individual uh, contractors complaining? Nope. Uh, was the was this business once lauded and solicited by every politician in every party for about 40 years? Yep. Did, were you begged to uh, revamp the Bronx Golf Club to Trump Links? And were in the 1980s, didn't you fix a skating rink for the city and before? Haven't you done this countless amount of times? Yep. So the, the problem is, before he ran for office, he was lauded, and now they're going in on a civil case, which has no foundation, it doesn't seem, but it doesn't mean they're not going to be successful in hurting the guy. But the conclusion for the pedestrian is they're targeting the guy, so he might actually be expanding his voter base. 
Well, well, that's right. And and I think there's definitely a sense, I think, of indictment fatigue out there because, you know, you were kind of listing a lot of the charges. And, you know, look, sure, they, they may make sense to, to bring if you're a prosecutor. They may make sense from a legal perspective. But I think for the average person, they hear that. And, I mean, at this point, it's impossible even to keep straight all the different indictments, all the different charges, all the things people are alleging that the former president did wrong. And, and the problem is, is that it ultimately, the problem from the prosecutor's perspective, that it ultimately dilutes the, the force of all of these indictments. When people lose track of what's going on, they lose track of all the players, and people are just sent and saying, look, this is they, – they, people are saying this is political, and it, we can't sort all this out, and they're piling on it. It's everything too much all at once. You know, Enough is enough. So it's so 14, uh, the 14th Amendment. That is the new push. Adam Schiff, oh, this, this is – fits uh, President Trump to a T. Uh, and then you have Michael Ludig, who you know him, but the average person doesn't. He was up for Supreme Court justice reportedly. He talked about the 14th Amendment being a legitimate concern of Trump and should be uh, should eliminate him. Listen to this. This is one of the most fundamental questions that could ever be decided under our Constitution. Uh, and it will be decided by the Supreme Court of the United States uh, sooner rather than later and most likely before the the first primaries uh, uh in which uh Donald Trump would ha- would be put on the uh the ballot or disqualified from the ballot by one of those secretaries of state what do you think about this i mean you're the legal guy does ludic have a point <laughs> Anytime Judge Ludig says something, I, I take it seriously because, as you know, he is he is a, a conservative judge, former judge, highly respected, and a, and a very smart guy. And so, you know, look, I, do, I don't discount it, and, and I take this seriously. At the same time, I think I don't think anyone can say with a high degree of certainty what the Supreme Court would ultimately decide on this. This law in question was passed in the wake of the Civil War uh, when they were trying to disqualify persons uh, who had served in the Confederacy and had previously taken an oath to support the United States Constitution to prevent them from holding office. Um, it hasn't been invoked uh, very often, to say the least, you know, in the succeeding you know, century plus. Um, and so I think anyone who says, look, here's exactly what the Supreme Court is going to decide, I, I don't see how you can predict that with any confidence. The other thing that, that worries me about this is the, the idea that you could have individual secretaries of state in any given state basically unilaterally decide whether or not former President Trump can serve on the ballot or whether you know he, he engaged in insurrection and needs to be kicked off the ballot. That does not seem workable to me in the least. I mean, the idea that you would have these individual actors who are you know mostly politically elected officials, you know, say from a blue state, saying, look, in my judgment, I think President Trump did an insurrection, therefore he's kicked off the ballot. That can't be the situation. I mean, you know, you look in the Democrats would be concerned that you would have Republican secretaries Secretaries of State who would say, "Look, I think this Democratic office holder either, you know, engaged in insurrection or gave aid and comfort to the enemy, and they should be kicked off the ballot too." And so, I think the system just would begin to break down if you yeah. could have these individual people unilaterally deciding who is qualified to appear on the ballot or not. It's exactly, not Tom. The thing is, they're already doing it in New Hampshire. Well, you know what? I don't think he really belongs on the ballot. I'm very curious to see how this is going to turn out. And as we wait for it to go up, uh, that will affect the election. For example. If it does close, you know, if, if Iowa is closer than it looks right now, if New Hampshire is closer than it looks right now, and then you have Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis going, do you really want to put a guy on the ballot? 
that's not going to be eligible? Don't tell me that that's not going to figure in even among the same party. And that is affecting the election. We used to be so concerned about that. Alan Dershowitz is building on what you said. Cut 13. You know how dangerous this is? This really essentially abolishes the very carefully structured impeachment provisions of the Constitution and the 25th Amendment and says you don't have to use those due process, difficult ways of getting rid of a president or a mayor or anybody. Just go to the 14th Amendment and then Larry Tribe and Adam Schiff get to decide who can be the president of the United States. It's so undemocratic. It's so anti-American. And it's so dangerous. And it's absolutely a disgrace that so many people who call themselves scholars are prepared to misinterpret the Constitution to bring about a result they want, which is denying the American people the right to vote for Donald Trump or people like me the right to vote against. I have a constitutional right to vote. I insist on having that right come November. So he, he insists on having the vote to vote against Trump. And that's his point. Yeah. And, and, and look, I mean, the, the, the whole notion that the founders would have wanted just, you know, individual political elected officials to decide who Americans can vote for for president, to make these unilateral decisions about who is eligible to serve in the highest office in the United States just doesn't make any sense. I mean, any time you limit the candidates who would be eligible even to be considered, even to be voted on for president, it's a very serious thing uh, because you would be in the position of denying the person that a majority of Americans want to lead them. Uh, so, you know, you don't take it cavalierly. And look, I think Judge Ludig is right about one thing. If, especially if this, motion, this uh, movement starts getting traction and you do see people wherever, New Hampshire, other states, trying to disqualify former President Trump, I do think the Supreme Court is going to step in and sort it out. Because to your point, Brian, you can't have a universe where people are saying, hey, don't vote for that guy who's ineligible to serve. Right. Tom, I had to ask you, too, about and I, I just don't I'm just watching this from afar. I'm seeing, okay, you indicted 19 people in the RICO Act and Donald Trump's amongst them. I want to try them all at once. And then all of a sudden, you know, that was the, what the prosecutor says. So this judge says, no, you know, I'm, I'm going to let this guy Cheeseboro go on his own. Meadows says, I want to go to a federal court. Uh, three others have lined up and said, no, no, I want to go out on my own. Trump says, I want to go out on my own. What is the precedent here? I mean, in the past, can did mobsters try to split off? And I don't equate them to the mob, but that's what the indictment says. Can they just split off? And doesn't that defeat the purpose of trying everyone at once on the RICO Act? Yeah, well, historically, yeah, you would see people split off sometimes. Um, I mean, it's, it's certainly not uncommon where you have a multi-defendant indictment for a lot of defendants, you know, to look look to the guy to their left and the guy to their right and say, hey, I don't want to be tried along these guys. You know, Th- these are the criminals, you know, break me off, try me separately. So, so that's common. It doesn't mean that the judge has to allow it. I think in this particular case, to me, it seems unimaginable that there would ever be a day where you had, you know, 19 defendants all sitting up at a table in a courtroom and they're trying to prove their case. I mean, you know, for one thing, it would be almost impossible possible for any juror to try to sort things out and try to figure out, you know, based on what probably would be a six-month trial, six months of evidence where, you know, trying to figure out, well, which pieces of evidence apply to which defendants and try to make distinctions among defendants and, and really give everyone their own individual fair shake. I think that's impossible to do. I can't see a trial with 19 defendants. I do think you are going to see smaller groups being tried here. I do think you may see individual trials. I mean, if this ever goes to trial against former President Trump, I'd be surprised if it weren't against him alone. Uh, that Cheesebro and other people might if? want to move fast. Tom, did you say if it ever goes to 
No, but if it goes, you, you expect someday that Trump's going to have to sit for this, don't you? I think it's it's probably true. I think it's more likely than not that he will have to sit for it. But I, I wouldn't take it as a certainty. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I would not be surprised at all if the former president's legal team files various motions to try to dismiss the indictment on one ground or the other. Um, so things could change. Uh, I wouldn't say it's an 100 percent certainty he'll ultimately be tried for it, although I do think it, it probably is likely, not in the near future, but some point. Yeah. It's amazing what's going on. Have you ever seen anything like this in your life? 20 to 90 Never. counts on a guy running for president who's running away <laughs> with things. No, and, and, and Brian, I feel like, you know, we're, we're, we're overusing the word unprecedented, you know, know, never before seen American history, but it seems like every day we're confronted with something like that. And it's like every time something happens, I want to hop on the air and talk to some expert to say, what is going on here? And uh, those days I take off are the most frustrating days, uh, which I, I took a couple <laughs> yeah. off in between. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. And, and I'll tell you one thing that is not really your area but when things come up and you want to bring up the 14th Amendment and you want to try them in Georgia and try them in New York and this is civil trial and they're OK, every day you talk about Trump, good or bad, is another day seven or eight Republicans can't get any press for what they're doing and might be able to do for the country. So I'm not sure if Democrats know what they're doing, but they're certainly giving Trump the platform and it's not hurting him yet. I'm curious to wonder if they're saying to themselves behind closed doors, what have we created? Yeah, it's, it's hard to think of a better way to keep former President Trump in the spotlight than doing what they're doing. Right. Uh, by the way, two networks would go to test patterns if Trump ever decided to drop out. Uh, and it wouldn't be us. Tom Dupree, and I know you're on all channels, so I don't want to get you in a bad spot. But uh, the former Deputy <laughs> Assistant Attorney General, Tom Dupree, thanks so much. Hey, thanks a lot, Brian, for having me. All right. Now, listen, when we come back, uh, uh, no test pattern, just you. And I got some of you. Some of your emails are coming in. I also went live on X, which was formerly known as Twitter. And I'm pretty sure. It, did it go well, Pete, do you think? I'm not sure. We'll see how that goes because people are responding now on Twitter on X. Because I did not know I could go live, but I had the old app. So I didn't know I have to shut up my phone and get the new app and log in again. So now I got the X. feel like a new person. Back in a moment. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But we're going to come at this from all angles. Mr. Comer today subpoenaed documents and individuals from DHS and the Secret Service. Chairman Smith has subpoenaed individuals from the IRS who were part of the investigation into Hunter Biden. We have subpoenaed individuals from the FBI who were part of the investigation. We want them in for depositions. So we're coming at this from three sides to get the facts for the country so we know whether we need to go to impeachment inquiry. But it is looking like more and more every day we need to go to that phase of our oversight work. So that was Jim Jordan last night with Sean. And we're taking your calls, one 866 Just got an email in. Vincent writes this, uh, says some nice things. He's going to get Teddy and Booker T. Thank you. Comes out in November. Says, I want to comment on Fox News. Too much focus on Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. Crime family, too much. I'm getting tired of hearing this day after day. I know, but... This is a developing investigation that I find fascinating. I appreciate it, Vincent, but I just think there's so much more to learn. And I don't think it's just one of these bad things that someone had a bad investment like Whitewater. I think it affects our policy right now, especially Ukraine. Bruce is in York, Pennsylvania. Hey, Bruce. Hi. Good morning, sir. 
I just wanted to say um, we all remember the insurance policy that the Democrats came up with. Yep. And the insurance policy, if we would just remember the John Durham report, if we don't take care of this FBI and the DOJ, if Ron DeSantis were to get elected and he did great policies that the Democrats hated, the same thing that we're seeing today with Trump would happen again with DeSantis. Bruce, very astute of you. Thanks for the call. I already saw it. They were going after, remember, uh, I'm moving out of Florida. It's not friendly to gays. I'm moving out of Florida. It's not friendly to African-Americans. I'm not going to have my NAACP meeting there. We're just making it up because he was running for president. If he was not running for president, they would have no problem. And we just see the way racist, sexist, misogynist, anti-woman, I guess would be sexist when it comes to abortion. They were going after DeSantis the same way. And I just wish some anti-Trumpers out there would understand that it's not going to change when Trump, win or lose this time, is done. Uh, A lot of people are saying that, too. Jessica writes me and says, President Trump and other Republican candidates need to rally, campaign in the inner cities. As minority voters, I am appealing away from Democrats. Joe Biden's policies, Republicans need to get out there and remind those voters in the inner cities how things are improving under a Republican president. I agree. You know who's doing that? Vivek Ramaswamy. And I just go show up. And even if you get heckled sometimes or the crowd's a little bit small, show you care. Give them an alternative. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I got to live in the real world, in the real history, and in the real world, real wages are beating prices. That is a very welcome trend. 82% support capping insulin costs for seniors at $35 a month. 81% support giving Medicare the power to negotiate for lower drug prices. 79% support tax incentives to create more manufacturing jobs. 77% support capping out-of-pocket costs on prescription drugs. These are all measures that are in place. These are the components of Bidenomics. So when someone tells you Americans don't like Bidenomics, it's false. Americans approve of the components above 80 percent. Okay, Uh, that is, of course, uh, do you know anyone that goes, I wish insulin was more expensive. Uh, I wish Medicare was more affordable. I'm not sure a lot of people in biotech have an argument that they don't want the government to be able to negotiate prices down because it takes away innovation. I'll have that argument. But that has nothing to do with Bidenomics. Bidenomics is the unbelievable spending for a green economy that America and the world is not ready for, technology can't handle. And now the spending is coming through. Did you know, economically, we have doubled our national debt in two years, doubled in one year, we doubled it. So, yeah, the the deficit immediately got cut. Got it. Because we're no longer spending on the pandemic. We understand that. But what the president doing now is all that spending in the pipeline is and actually being spent. And the money is flying out the door and the interest rates are going up. And we're witnessing now a situation where the average American is voting on the economy and it gives him a 38 percent approval rating. Jared Bernstein, his economic advisor, let that out. The guy who's also in the real world is trying to be right. If you're watching Fox Nation, you recognize him. Chef Andrew Gruel, founder of American Gravy uh, Concepts. Uh, a restaurateur, entrepreneur, and very strong opinions on anything uh, that we throw at him. Uh, Andrew, welcome back. It's great to be back. Thank you. So there's – I don't blame Jared Bernstein. He's there to advocate for his boss. Got it. 
but he's in the numbers. You're in the reality. What are people feeling? It's it's hurting everybody. I mean, you know, I talk to every one of my guests about things, and I always try and keep our prices low, but there's a certain point at which you can't do it. You have to keep raising the prices. And one of the things that uh, our guests are saying is, is that they're going out to eat at restaurants all over the place, and now restaurants are adding surcharges, insurance charges. So you read your, your bill, and it's like – you know, it's like reading a Schedule 15. There's 17 different line items to add these costs on because the restaurants and the retail they operators. They have kitchen gratuities now sometimes. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the restaurants and the retailers, they can't even keep up anymore. And that's the reality of Bidenomics is that on the street, our cost of goods are going up significantly, much higher than the rate in which the, you know we're seeing inflation. And then furthermore, you're getting all these surcharges added on from every single distributor. Plus the state, especially in California, adding more taxes, adding more regulations that it's breaking the back of any small or medium-sized business owner. Don't you think that before you vote for anyone, don't you want to ask them, have you been in a business? Dry cleaner, deli, restaurant? Have you done anything? Did you sell sneakers? Did you go to a flea market and with, a, you know, with your uh, iPhone and try to slash people in and then see the amount of tax you're paying out? Until you start doing that, you fully don't understand it, do you? They don't understand it. And then let's take the other side of running a business, right, the human element, which actually I think is the biggest part of the business. And and the way in which they pretend to care about the workers, but then they ignore what the workers are asking for and what they're saying. These workers, these younger workers who are getting completely crushed and can't even afford a place to live, you know, it's it's not about giving them handouts, right? They want a strong economy and they want opportunity, liberty, and freedom to make their own decisions. They're not being listened to at all. Right. Um, I also think these corporate housings, these corporations, I saw this featured two years ago on 60 Minutes. Corporations are going into middle and lower middle class housing and they're buying them all and they fix them up and then they rent them to people. It makes it impossible to buy. And you're going to outbid Blackstone. So you never get the house you spend your whole life renting. That's who we're competing against. Any politician who says, I'm going to end that. I think that would work in their benefit. That would show you you're in the real world. Yeah, well, I agree because a lot of these major corporations, we've seen the way in which they've merged with the government. It's almost now like one massive entity. It's a monopoly of sorts. And when you get rid of the housing element and then you give the power to the employer and the large employer to basically hold an employee hostage by way of housing, having it or not having it, well, then that creates a whole nother power struggle. What are you dealing with right now? I know you've had your businesses. People didn't like that you spoke up during the pandemic. You called out Gavin Newsom. You called out the president. Where are you at now? Well, my biggest thing right now is in deal- in California is dealing with crime, right, and the laws that are coming down. Right now, California Senate is spending all of their time passing Senate bills that are going to punish businesses who protect their workers and try and prevent crime, SB 533. Look it up. It's the way in which now they're saying, OSHA, you have to have an entire framework in place to prevent violent crime. And if you don't, then you get penalized by the state. And if any of your employees or the owners actually try and prevent the crime, criminals by fighting back, well, then you're in massive trouble. They spend all this time and state resources in order to punish the employers as opposed to actually putting the criminals in Who jail. Who would be in support of this? They, it, it won the vote 29 to 8, I think, in California. Um, and they just went through appropriations. They amended the bill to make it even harder for people just two days ago, and we're going to see it go into effect July 1st, 2024. And they represent the people that you talk to? They, yep. 
Yep. But they, do they really represent the people? No, the, that no, of course not. That's right. the point. If I and most people, if I said you know SB five three three, nobody knows what's going on. This is what California does because it doesn't get covered in California press or media because they know that it's insane, but yet they still do it and waste everybody's time and resources putting this junk together, as opposed to just allowing people to go to jail for committing a crime. I mean, we see on the cover of the New York Post today, we see a six-year-old woman get beat up by a nine-time convicted criminal who didn't like the fact that he, she was in his way. She rips the cane out of his hand. He rips the cane out of her hand and beats her up. He doesn't even get arrested. He goes, well, she hit me first, and they let him walk away. And basically the cops feel as though they're not going to be backed anyway. Is this the hill I die on, or should I just worry about getting home at night? This is not a New York story, though. You talk to Chicago. In Chicago, the mayor came out and said these people on Hondas and these Kias, they should really they're going to be sued. They should be sued. And he's suing them because it's too easy to steal their car. I mean, I, I, I heard this story and I genuinely thought it was the Babylon Bee. I thought it was satire. The Onion. This is real. In, in California, uh, San Francisco, I'm talking to restaurant tours all over the place and we're seeing these heritage restaurants shutting down left and right and mass exodus of restaurant tours in what once was one of the greatest culinary cities in the world. And what they're saying is, is that we're calling the police and the police aren't even getting out of their cars. And that goes to what you just suggested is, is that you know they don't want to lose their jobs. They don't think that they're they're going to get in trouble for actually enforcing the law. This is a, I mean, it's unbelievable. And the people who who live this day in and day out, they're saying, please, somebody just come and help us. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Gruel is with us now. He's offering his opinions about what it's like trying to make things work. I have no idea why you're still in California. Well, I actually firmly believe that there is hope in California. I mean, you know, Steve Hilton does a great job trying to explain to people, and he's really pushing through California to get people to understand that really there's there's theoretically a 5% gap here and that people need to stand up. We think California is a lost cause, but there's a lot of reason and rationale in the common person's mind in California. It's just about exposing these facts, you know, not opinions, but facts, and then ultimately voting the right way. And getting right candidate. Yeah. But is the Republican Party organized enough to have, to have a real run? I mean, the last Republican that we saw was Arnold Schwarzenegger, interviewed him many times when he had the job. He really couldn't get much done. He wanted to come in and get things done. He realized he has to deal with Democrats. And since that time, Republicans haven't sniffed powerful office. Yeah, a lot of people say compromise isn't leadership, but I think the right compromise is leadership. So in California, you know, if you get the right people in office, it might start with a little bit of compromise, but we just need to chip away at that supermajority, and then from there, perhaps we can take the second step. So I think there's hope, and I'm in California because, frankly, it is a beautiful state. It's part of our nation uh, currently, and uh, you know, there's great people there. It's have, you know, it's it's be, being bigger than most countries. Yeah. I lived out there too. I lived in uh, Malibu in a five hundred dollar apartment. Okay, <laughs> uh, because I was willing to drive that far. I lived at the bottom of somebody's house, um, and then he got sick, and I basically had the whole house. So more on that later. And then I, I worked in Ontario, so wow. I was able to have to drive through each into a small station out there. And then I worked at XTRA All Sports Radio, which originally was just in San Diego. So I would drive on the weekends all the way down to San Diego, and then they got a. Uh, a station 670 in the mall, and the mall, the Topanga Canyon Mall, just got hit yep. by Smash and Grab. Yeah, and I go, wait a second, that beautiful mall, they just smashed and that's where the radio station was. Yep. And I just can't believe it. They just got hit. And what are you going to do? You're not supposed to stop them. And you know what? If I'm just shopping there, I'm looking to pick up some sneakers, am I going to tackle a guy who just wiped out, you know, a Foot Locker? Probably not.
Oh, heck no. Heck no. And these and these this is a crime syndicate, too. I think that's important to mention. I mean, it's organized. It is organized. Talk about Rico. Right. Uh, you know, these are organized criminals. They go in with lists of when they're go- hitting up these pharmacies. They have a list that they've already sold on back pages. So basically they market it and then they tell people, OK, here's your shopping list. Go in and steal X you know, goods. Half of these are kids that are going in because they know they're going to be released even if they do get caught based on the fact that they're first-time offenders. So they're using the law to their advantage. They know what they're doing. But why are you optimistic then? Well, I'm optimistic because the people of California, right? Like people recognize that this is absurd. So whether there's going to be some level of vigilantism that takes place and they start pushing back on Our it. Our best hope are vigilantes? Well, hey, you know what? Robin Hood's, you know, it's a great uh, – You know, see, so you, you remember Danny Penny, right? Oh, He's yeah. the Marine in the, uh, in the subway that just wanted to go downtown to go to a class. He looked over and see this harassing everybody, including an old, two older African-American women. And he used his skills he learned as a Marine to suppress the guy. Sadly, he got choked out. Uh, And now this guy is fighting for his freedom. And that's why I think this 60-year-old woman in the Harlem subway who gets beat up for no reason, the guy taped it rather than helping. Because do you want to give up? Maybe this guy's got a family. He works at the MTA. He's probably not rich. So do you say, is this the hill I die on? At least I tape it and she has a chance for justice. I agree. I agree that they're that it's insane. But hey, at least the guy's taping it and getting the information out. There. Right. You know, I don't know if I could do it. Huge. I don't know if I could do that. This guy was a mountain of a guy, but I probably would have given it a shot. So Phil Flynn weighed in on he's a, uh, a market analyst, oil trader. He sees oil and gas going up. We know that gas is going up. How high is it now in California? Roughly, let's just say dollars. Uh, is that unbelievable? Eight yeah. dollars. Yeah. So here it's yeah. Well, here it's four ten roughly. So that I mean that's with all the taxes on it and they don't want you to drive it, but they still have to use oil and gas to sustain keep the lights on in California, correct? Oh yeah, I mean yeah, the grid is is ineffective. So here is Phil Flynn talking about everyday life cut 36. It's a very scary chart, and a lot of that, Brett, is caused by inflation and government spending, right? Government spending's been out of control. People have to pay more for food. They have to pay more for groceries, and that's when they get behind on these loans. When we keep hearing the economy is doing great and everything is fine, the reality is is that inflation is affecting everything, and you see it very clearly in those charts. People can't afford to pay their bills when they can't afford to buy their groceries. And what happens is when you look at your credit card, the interest is up. So you owe more. And after a while, people are like, you know what? I'm just going to make the minimum payment. We know that's a 50-year program if you don't spend anything. Yeah, and then ultimately they file bankruptcy, right? Yeah. I mean, it And they don't come much. to your restaurant to go out to eat. No, exactly. They don't right. come to my restaurant. You know, I think that right now we're at this edge and we're looking over the cliff. And, um, you know, we, we're pushing as hard as we can. The margins are either non-existent or they're so thin. People are still coming to the restaurant, but not at the same rate at which they, you know, they were a year or two ago when, you know, the government printing press was just on full blast. Andrew Gruel's here. Andrew, we come back. Uh, when you took a stand last time is the pandemic restrictions. To a degree, they're coming back. As the first lady gets COVID, and in Maryland, they're making elementary schools all mask up, despite the fact that they've really hurt them academically, and these kids are not in danger at all, especially on this variant. It's nuts. Andrew Gruel weighs in when we come back on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
a talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you think back to the the, origi- the origins of the pandemic, uh, these guys use mask mandates and vaccine mandates to effectively talk about half the country as second-class citizens. They use these mandates to turn one half the country against the other half of the country. That's what all tyrants do. That is J.D. Vance uh, talking about he's pushing a no-masking-again uh, bill uh, on the Senate floor and House floor. Let's see where people stand. Is that something that's foolhardy? Uh, Chef Andrew Gruel wants to weigh in, founder of American Gravy Concepts, uh, very successful entrepreneur in his own right, and for a while was on uh, the Food Network, right? Yep. Andrew, and we'll be on Gutfeld tonight. You got it. You sure you want to do this? <laughs> you still do. Uh, so your thoughts about what he just said, where are we going with this? Yeah, well, let me tell you this about masks. As somebody who runs a business that relies on proper sanitation, masks are absolutely disgusting. I think that the unintended consequence of people masking is is that they have a false sense of security, and then there's bacteria that builds up on these masks that just gets spread all over the place. I hate masks in restaurants for that very reason. It could be spreading so many other viruses and diseases that people, they don't wash these masks. Um, you know, if you got proper ventilation in the restaurant, do not wear the masks, period. The masks are ineffective. We know that. They're disgusting, and they ruin the environment as well. These things don't break down. They're full of microplastics, and they just end up in the ocean. So you want to talk about environmentalism. Oh, uh, yeah, and but we've got to stop it before it's too late. In Maryland, it is too late. An elementary school in Washington, D.C., right outside, right in Maryland, is reinstating school masks for third graders after a handful of kids tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, by the way, it's now a low viral X post, whatever that means. Uh, so now we're going to see something that's no danger to kids. If you have an underlying conditions, if you're dealing with MS or muscular dystrophy, or sadly, if you have to deal with some type of, uh, if you're going through cancer treatment, that's a different story. But that's for you. You cannot destroy a kid's ability to learn by putting masks on these kids again. And this is evidently variants going to start spreading. Anthony Fauci's talking about it again. What did it do to your business? Well, it crushed our business. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. The only reason that we ended up doing well through the pandemic or getting by was because I spoke out and made a target of myself, and then it brought a lot of people in who wanted to support the business. We talk about this parallel economy. But for most businesses where people can't speak out or they don't even understand a lot of these issues because they're trying to just get by and pay rent, they are going to get crushed again. The mere presence of masks scares people, and it's that signal that we should be scared. When people are scared, they don't go out. When they don't go out, they don't spend money, and then we start to see things retract when it comes to the economic element. So I want you to hear what Rand Paul said uh, last night, cut 18. It's a crime against children, and we should never put our kids back in the masks. Right now, I'm having a battle with the Senate physician who wants to do three vaccines for all of our pages. They're 18 years old, and we now know that, guess what? In America, not one healthy child died from COVID. I repeat that, not one. The number is zero, and yet we're forcing three vaccines, and we now know that the more vaccines you give to children, the higher the incidence of the heart inflammation. So it's actually malpractice to do this, and I'm fighting them because in the Senate, they're still trying to force every page that comes in here, young, healthy people, to be triple vaxxed, and it actually is against medical advice to be doing that. Is he is he dust in the wind or does he speak for people that you know, Andrew? Oh, he speaks for a lot more people than they'll What about liberals? Like 
uh, the actor actors type that come to your place. Yep, and I'll tell you what. The reason I know this is, is that all these kind of contemporaries in my field write to me privately. Thank you for speaking out. We 100% agree with you. We're not going to speak out because we're afraid to, but we're going to keep giving you props for doing so. Look, I've got four kids um, from the ages of 2 to 12. They will never see a mask ever again. And if a school makes them? We took them out of school. We homeschool them. You homeschool them. Where they go into a pod program. It's a turning point school, and uh, they're in that school, and, it's, and and they're happy, and they play with other kids. There's 90 kids in the school, and then we do the extra work at home. All right. Andrew Gruel will watch you tonight on Gutfeld. Thank you. Please don't say hi for me. <laughs> From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. It's going to be so much fun over the next year going through this campaign like no other as we are now past Labor Day. Keep in mind, if you ever want to get the podcast, if there's a time in which you uh, you can't listen to the show live, uh, we have great podcasts, very popular. Just go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com or wherever you get podcasts. We'll be there. A lot of people come up to me and they say, I listen to your podcast. I'm thinking, of, I used to say to myself, what, you know, I guess they're confusing me with someone. Sometimes I forget the radio show is a podcast, but it is. Uh, Martha McCallum's coming up in about 15 minutes. Uh, she has a big story on the Murdoch family. She also is the commentator, not the Murdoch family, this, the, the ones who, uh, the House of Murdoch, the, the ones who uh, kill each other, it seems. And number two is uh, she just come fresh off that debate. What does she think about the next debate? We'll discuss that. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. So I can't speculate on North Korea's motives. Uh, what I can say is this. Providing weapons to Russia for use on the battlefield is not going to reflect well on North Korea, and they will pay a price for this uh, in the international community. <laughs> Does anyone take this guy serious? Do you know where North Korea is? They they like the name Hermit Kingdom. They don't care about the international community. They shoot their own people. They throw them in ditches. They bury them alive. The guy had a fighter jet assassinate his uncle. Do you really think he cares what the, what the world community thinks? The foreign policy follies of the Biden administration continue. Number two. This is coming back unless we stop it from happening. That's why I introduced this legislation, and I'm going to force the Democrats to vote on it. If they say the mask mandates are not coming back, then come to the Senate floor, <laughs> vote with us, and say no more mask mandates. Right. Masking up, to quote John McEnroe, you cannot be serious. They are serious. Next. Number one. President Biden is the oldest president in U.S. history. Why does White House staff treat him like a baby? No one treats the president of the United States, the commander in chief, uh, like a baby. So there's this book that says that's ridiculous. When that's a ridiculous claim. Well, that's what the book says that you gave the author unlimited access to. 2024, Bison, uh, the Biden reset after a devastating Wall Street Journal poll, which has him tied with four-time indicted Donald Trump and age 70% of the country say he should not run, including many Democrats. I say he is just flat out inept. And the push to KO Trump with the 14th Amendment picks up steam. But I don't think it has validity. And I think when it's kicked out of court, it's going to give Trump another lift. But the process and debate along the way locks out the rest of the party. And I feel bad for a degree to Tim Scott, to Governor DeSantis, uh, to Governor Nikki Haley, to Vivek Ramaswamy, who doesn't seem to care, and Chris Christie, and Asa Hutchinson, and maybe Governor Bergram, who 
whatever. They want to win or lose, but they can't get heard because it's not Trump's fault. It's not like Trump is calling into all these shows like he did in 2016 and making news every time. It's because of what's happening in every network wanting some Trump ratings and every prosecutor wanting some Trump in prison. Meanwhile, here's more on that exchange. Cut three. The president said over the long weekend that he hasn't had the occasion to go to East Palestine. I just haven't been able to break. The derailment was on February 3rd. President Biden has not had a break since February 3rd. The president will go to East Palestine. He promised that he would, and he will. Uh, You saw him. So he was not on a break when he was in Lake Tahoe? I will say this again. The president is going to go to East Palestine, as he has said that he is committed to do. Listen, he's got terrible staff. He does not want to go to East Palestine. I'm not sure why. He loves trains uh, and the toxic spill. Not many people would have blamed him. Pete Buttigieg eventually got shamed into showing up. President Trump really put jet fuel on his campaign by showing up and being the only one to do it. And in case you forgot, it was a it was a overturned, derailed, uh, uh, chemically filled uh, rail car that poisoned a whole town. They can't resell their homes. Can't really shower. Nobody wants to play their sports teams and comes from out of town. And for the most part, they've been ignored uh, by FEMA and others, although I give FEMA credit for being there right away. A lot of their concerns are not being heard, and the president doesn't seem to care. I guess you're giving up on Ohio, too? You know, ignores East Palestine, two no comments in Hawaii, and then someone said, excuse me, here's some smelling salts, sir. You're running for reelection." But J.D. Vance was there right away, and I think that we people are talking less about a polarized polarizing conservative Senate figure and more about a leader in J.D. Vance. I would not be surprised if Vance continues to shine like this in big spots that he's considered a presidential candidate uh, in a few years, even though Democrats are disappointed he's not one of them. So what are Democrats doing? They are uh, trying to maybe get a replacement for Joe Biden if he steps aside or get him out on the campaign trail to earn some money and get some recognition because so many Republicans are doing so well. Also, a big blow to the hopes of Democrats holding on to the Senate. Mike Rogers declared himself a senatorial candidate for the Republican Party in Michigan. Man, they think they can flip Tester. They think they can beat Manchin. That might have been enough. But now they got a legitimate shot because Mike Rogers is so well-respected in Michigan. FBI, Army, uh, successful podcast, uh, CNN contributor. He was thinking about running for president. And not a Trump hater. That gets you by. If you're a Trump hater, I don't think it will. Like it or not, fact. He says, you know, whoever gets the nomination, I'm supporting. And he is uh, running for Senate. So here is Molly Hemingway. Talks about what they're trying to do. And some of the friction Democrats are having now. A lot has to do with immigration. Cut seven. The consensus in Washington, D.C. is that Republicans are very divided. They're actually not divided. They're pretty unified on policy, at least among the voters. But you look at the difference between the Democrat elite, the ruling regime, and their voters, they have strong division. The Democrat leaders love having someone like Joe Biden. He's able to implement all of their goals. The people who run the agencies are getting to accomplish, who are very radical, to be honest. Uh, They get to implement all of what they want. But they are losing these voters. They're losing not just... uh, not just white working class voters, but also black working class voters. And it's a real opportunity here. I think so. But you have to have a, you have to have a game plan for the inner city. That's what I think. Uh, and I think that's really important. 
So if you want to win over Chicago, maybe you're not going to get all Chicago, but you want Illinois, get a piece of it and show you care. When we come back, Martha McCallum will join me in studio, one 408 And for great questions and comments, just go to briankilme.com, click on comments, and I'll read some of them out loud. Got to a lot of them last hour. Appreciate it. We'll be outnumbered at the top of the hour. Remember, it's Wednesday. One Nation is just three days away. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmead coming up. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmead. The CDC has been an international outlier. The rest of the world has followed the science that has been done on masking. You know, many people are acting as if there's not been a formal scientific evaluation of masks during the pandemic. Of course, it's been studied. And that definitive review called the Cochrane Analysis, it was done of the 150 other studies done on masking, came up with a conclusion that some people just didn't like, and that is that the masks had no impact on the trajectory of the infection. Now, I didn't like it. I was hoping masks were going to help, but you've got to listen to the scientific studies. You can't ignore it. Why are we even doing scientific evaluations if we're just going to ignore the results if it doesn't fit some policy agenda? That, and that sounds like the argument over the last two years, but it's back because we see this Maryland school, this elementary school is now back with masks. Uh, we see the president of the United States is going to use a mask when he's near his wife, who's been boosted twice and vaccinated twice and had COVID twice. So a lot of twos. Uh, and now we're going to go back to that. And these people with no restraint. I saw the University of Michigan is also bringing back masks. Are we going to be able to stop this and sober up and go to the facts again? Martha McCallum, we got so much to talk about, including for your exclusive interview with Buster Murdoch. It's going to be on Fox Nation. It's called The Fall of the House of Murdoch. It's now streaming from your exclusive interview uh, with Buster. Martha, welcome. Great to be with you, Brian. So what are you going to do with if masks come back to New Jersey? I'm I'm not going to. I, I No one has said it's mandatory. And. But then it reminds you of the way it was in the beginning, right? That this is how we started down this game. But no, I I will not be masking unless there's some extraordinary reason for it. Um, And I don't understand why we're not wearing masks for a lot of other things, right? There's flus out there. There's all different kinds of stuff. So we're wearing masks because COVID has reemerged a bit. Um, but not for other things. So I, I find it all very confusing. And I've always respected Dr. McCary and listened to him. I think he's based in science and uh, is reasonable when he looks at things. I think everybody was disappointed that the masks didn't work. The vaccines only worked to a certain extent. All the things that we were told would be preventative didn't turn out to be. And it's very sad that a lot of people, you know, were lost during this pandemic, but at least this time around, because they told us it's going to keep reemerging, right? It's like the flu. It comes back every year to some extent. It would be great to have some something that actually worked better than the failed things that we know don't work, you know, dusted out of, off out of the attic and let's right. bring our masks back. You're so measured and professional about it. I'm a little bit more angry because I see this happening again because so many people are willing to do it, get control and act as if they have our... Uh, have our best interest in mind. Here's more from Dr. Marty McCary a short time ago. It's amazing how uh, we're holding on to a couple really scrappy studies that have been debunked that the CDC put out to justify masking. Uh, We've ignored the entire experience in Europe. 
We've ignored the, you know, we basically have had a clinical trial with schools masked and unmasked in the United States. It's amazing how now masks have become a political badge. People are showing their sort of naked allegiance to a certain partisan agenda, and they're ignoring this ample data. So when parents have their kids forced to wear masks at schools or the schools are closed, I would encourage parents to ask for the study, ask for the research, uh-huh. and present the Cochrane analysis. Mm-hmm. And the Cochrane did a study that the, cloth, uh, that the paper masks don't work, but they're still going to do it anyway. Remember the kids running around with these uh, masks it's on? It's so and terrible. Outdoor- and, you know, little kids have had delayed speech. Uh, it's very hard for them to understand what their teachers are saying, even if their teachers are actually <laughs> showing up. We don't even, we have a teacher shortage. We have so many problems in our school system. Why would you do this? If yeah. you put a mask back on a child or you send them back to remote learning, it will be... I, it, my hair is on fire about the educational crisis that has happened in this country. I don't understand why people don't talk about it every single day. It's a mission, right? Like putting a man on the moon, get everyone caught up, get our children caught up from COVID. Jill Biden has COVID again. She's a teacher. She talks about being a teacher all the time. Why isn't this her mission as first lady to make sure that we get these kids caught up? And this is absolutely going to set them back for another enormous setback it's it's heartbreaking what's amazing is politically you watch president biden knuckle under and just say yeah well we're working it out we're trying to get these kids back in school we knew they should be back in school and now that she is a teacher she sees the debilitation but she's not speaking up uh and she gets it again and we'll see what happens with her uh with her husband but here's here's what the deal is these universities are putting people back in mass again and you pay this money you get accepted to a university what are you going to do now we see this school in maryland came back and said all third graders have to be masked up because there was a couple of kids in school, so we're going to watch it. I always thought, too, that when you told these kids to stay home and the kids are the inner-city kids without iPads or Internet, they were going to say, listen, uh, some of the money that we gave to these schools are going to be to extend the school year. It's going to be two and a half weeks. And then there's going to be money that's going to be given to maybe some of these separate learning centers where kids have to come in and come out with a certificate. A hundred percent. And then everyone's got, this is my extra. There's no program. There's no plan. I've been saying this since 2021, Brian, for two years. There should have been extended school programs, after school programs. Some schools did it. Some schools offered some tutoring. But obviously we're seeing what's happening across the board. And, And by the way, this decline was happening long before COVID. COVID dealt it a death knell. And then you have kids you know, who are being advanced. You've got eighth graders who can't read in this country. This is the United States of America. Where is the program? Where's the, you know, what is the federal government good for if it's not for some sort of national effort to say we are going to make sure that kids are reading math and doing math at grade level or they're not going to go to be sent on to high school. Eighth grade and third grade is the big benchmark for reading. Eighth grade, you better be on grade level because we want to be competitive. We want to have a competitive edge. We want to churn out scientists and educators and engineers who can build this country and make it great, right? But instead, it's like we don't care about competition anymore. It's pathetic. New York Times, I think, did or it could have been the Washington Post, did a story in Mississippi. And how right. they started working in working class areas yep. and they would do an instant anal- analysis in I think third grade. And if you were not up, you Tennessee got left back. Doing that. You got to get left back. And, and people are angry about it. Yeah. That they're going to advance a child to fourth grade who can't read 
why would this be a good thing for this child? And you know what? You know who I'd love to hear more from on this is Jeb Bush, because Jeb Bush had a very adventurous kind of education program when he ran for president. And it was kind of... It was a little common core or so, right? Exactly. Well, it was kind of to release the grade level numbers. Like you advance based on what you're doing, right? And what you know. And then you come back the next fall and you start where you were and you keep moving up and up. But it takes away the stigma of, okay, you're not, you're going to stay back in third grade, right? It's just like, here's your learning level. Here's where you're at. So we need to get really creative in this country about how to educate our children. And we need to stop worrying right. about the stuff that is not important for them to talk about at school and the stuff that is important for them to learn and focus on and meet benchmarks on at school. You know, what's interesting is that some of these parents who are into sports, they leave their kid back. That kid's not going to, you know, his September birthday. Yeah. I don't want to pressure him because I want the kid to be bigger and older for sports. For sports. It happens all the time. And then that same parent, I guarantee you, what do you mean he can't, he's, he's not going to be in fourth grade because he can't read? Yeah. I mean, that is, this is, yeah, you're so right to bring that up, Brian, because people, unfortunately, we have become a country that seems to care more about sports than school. And that's, that's you know, fall of the Roman Empire stuff. Right, uh, which they're writing about now. Exactly. They compare us to. Uh, but there was pushback today from Rich Lowry earlier on the show. I'll provide some audio for your show a little bit later at 3 o'clock today. Excellent. Uh, before we go, I want you to hear this wonderful montage. Dr. Anthony Fauci back on television today where he belongs. He's a genius. He's the godfather figure and grandfather figure I've always sought for my life. And here's why. Cut 15. People should not be walking around with masks. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And masks are protective. And we but have- it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. Good that you're vaccinated, but in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. You are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected, and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. This is why, this is why I have no patience for him. <laughs> I mean, this is, it's a perfect example. It is so it's so you know what he's you have to back. Trust your own, he's back. He, he is. You got to trust your own instincts, and you and your doctor have to do what's best for you. Uh oh, so just knocked just my his, iPad he just over. Threw his iPad in the garbage. <laughs> that's what that's what Anthony Fauci <laughs> does how, to me. That's how angry he is. No, you got to trust your own instincts. Go by your own guidelines, your doctor's guidelines. That's where this should be. Right. Uh, and by the way, if you do get it, what happens? You run through it like everything else. You have a stomach virus, takes two or three days. You don't go and go to the hospital and go on a ventilator. I mean, if unless you have underlying conditions and you know better than me or better than Anthony Fauci, maybe uh, you're OK. You're going to be OK. And then you get natural immunity. Have we been through this before? But it's happening again. I also worry about people that already distrust the elections. And now is coming up mm-hmm. and the election comes up and the primary comes up. Suddenly people can't right. go out and can't go to a rally. It's totally irresponsible to have a, a big rally. If you're President Trump, do it in a drive in like uh, Joe Biden. As he mumbles through it. It's very scary. It really is. All right, we come back. We talk about oh, a murder. Uh, we'll talk about the Murdoch. Oh, murder. absolutely. Yeah, all right. Exclusive. And then we have uh, your show. And then I go on Outnumbered. It's going to be an exciting. Right. It's going to be an exciting show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Would you say you think the police didn't do the job? There's an awful lot of pressure on a law enforcement entity to come up with a suspect. 
You said that you thought they rushed to judgment because the person who found the bodies was the easiest person to charge. Why would they want to do that to your dad? I think it's one of those things where you have to do something. And I think that it was, and that's the option and the route that they decided to go with. My biggest thing that I want people to realize that there are always two sides of the story. Now they can pick which one they want to believe, but I think there's a heck of a lot that still needs to be answered about what happened on June the 7th. So that was a little of uh, Martha McCallum's interview uh, with uh, Buster Murdoch, uh, the son of the convicted killer of his mom and of his brother. Yep. So, Martha, we thought we, this is going to be the end of that trial for a while. When did you realize that there was more to say, more to do, and you had an opportunity to talk to Buster? So we sat down with him a couple of months after the verdict, and they expressed an interest in telling their side of the story. And I, I sat down with him for about six and a half hours, I think. We were there all day, and it was very wide-ranging. A lot of what we discussed is not in this documentary, and you will see it later. Uh, there are a number of other storylines that we discussed that were not part of this, and we will roll that, that out later. It's not surprising and I've spoken to a number of criminologists about this. Most children of someone who's accused and convicted of murder, in many cases, they cannot, they cannot live with that idea. They cannot abide that idea. And so it is a defense mechanism. I'm not saying he doesn't truly believe his father's innocent. I think he does believe his father's innocent and was wrongly convicted. But it's, this is a young man who has lost his mother and his brother in one fell swoop on a horrible night when they were both murdered to killed, shot to death on their home property. And then his father was put away for the rest of his life. We think pending the appeal that's going on here. Uh, So he's, he's in a really emotional, difficult position. He opened up to me quite a bit. And uh, one of the interesting things that is not in the documentary that I keep going back to in my mind, Alex's brother gave an interview to the New York Times a few months after the trial. And he said, you know, I think Alex knows more than he's telling, which was a big deal. And I asked, I asked Buster that. I said, so what did you think when your uncle came out and said that he thinks your dad knows more than he's telling about what happened that night? He said, that could be. He, he could be right about that. I said, yeah. you think your dad knows more than he than than he's shared with he said it, it it's possible that could be yeah i said you and then so there like is what is in the documentary is when i said do you think he would have hired someone to do this he said never he would never do that but he you know it, it's it's an absolutely fascinating crazy family story i'm i'm not saying they're crazy but it's just like the twists in this story have been unbelievable and now you have this enormous twist that came yesterday with this court clerk who if this if what they're these juries say is true there will absolutely be a hearing and very likely a new trial so what was the accusation from the clerk so the accusation is that the clerk who is in the documentary also she was interviewed in it becky hill who was very uh, sort of seemed to enjoy all the attention that she got in that role and being part of this Murdoch case. This is a very small town. She's like, oh, my great grandfather was a bootlegger with Mr. with Senior Murdoch. You know, they all know each other. By the end of it, she wrote in her book that came out in August, which is what gave the attorneys an opening. She wrote mm-hmm. that she knew that they were guilty. 
And that when they all went to the Moselle property to look at it with the jurors, she said, oh, we all exchanged knowing glances. And after that, we all knew he was guilty. She's supposed to be completely unbiased. So these two jurors have signed affidavits saying that she told them not to be fooled by Alex, not to be fooled by his body language. There was a Facebook thing that may have never even happened, a post that ended up removing a juror who was someone who might have been on the fence that she was behind. This is a huge development. In this case. Here is Rebecca Hill uh, talking to Martha. Cut 40. I'm the one that read the verdict of Alec Murdoch. And I was a little, um, my breath was knocked out for a moment. But then I have to tell myself uh, to treat this just like any other trial, any other verdict that I have to read. And I have to place my mind there and take out any other personal um, relationships. It's very the interesting now that Richard Alexander Murdoch defendant indictment for murder, guilty verdict. That's her reading it. Uh, so your thoughts about which... it's interesting when you listen to that soundbite because at the end she says and take out any personal feelings. But these jurors, three of them, say that she shared her personal feelings with them quite often in private quarters and said these things that I just relayed about, you know, oh, she said, oh, this will wrap up quickly. This won't take a long time. They testified, they they signed affidavits saying that she wouldn't let them go outside and smoke until the deliberation was done. And we know it came in in under three hours, right? Um, so it, the things that she says in that in those sound bites really, in retrospect, are very interesting given what we learned yesterday. I would also point out one of the producers did the interview with Becky Hill. I did the interview with Buster Murdoch, so it was part of a, a team effort, but I did not sit down with her. So the other thing was something about a juror that was kicked off for something that she didn't do. Right. Uh, they said that the mother was influential or something to that effect, and yet the mother had been dead. So it was her ex-husband. Uh, Becky Hill, same person, said, oh, to the judge, I was on Facebook the other night and I saw a post from the juror's ex-husband saying that he had spent time with her and she told him how she was going to decide in this case that she had already made up her mind. The post got taken down. They couldn't find it after that. Uh, It was then it turned out a guy came on and admitted on Facebook, oh, I have the same name as that that juror's ex-husband, but it was me that wrote it and Satan made me do it. Crazy stuff. So that got taken out, but the juror was still removed. Becky Hill claimed that that the South Carolina law enforcement went to the guy's house and confirmed that, indeed, he did post that. The juror said, I haven't talked to my ex-husband in in over 10 years. So did she make this whole thing up about this post? I mean, how did all this happen, and why was this juror removed? Some people think she was removed because she was leaning the other way. So Dick Dick Carpoolian? Uh, wants another trial. What do you think? Yeah, so I'm going to talk to Jim Griffin on the show this afternoon. Uh, it, everyone I've spoken to, I talked to Judge Jeanine this morning. I said, how would you approach this as, as a judge? She said they absolutely have to have a hearing, open all of this up and find out what's behind these signatures and these Will we see this, you think? No, I don't think so. I think this hearing will probably happen behind closed doors. But the likelihood that they'll get another trial, I think, is, is quite real. And what about Murdoch in prison? He's already been suspended for using the phone or not using the well, phone. Well, he got suspended because he, for for our documentary, he recorded his own diary into a cell phone and sent it to his lawyers. His lawyers have been working so hard to figure out how to appeal this case, right? And then this whole book thing landed in their lap and opened this gate for them that I don't think they ever anticipated with these jurors. Um, so he lost his phone and iPad privileges, Alex. So. Behind bars. Yeah. 
because he, because of this diary that he read. Wow. So you do this as of interest, and then all of a sudden these other things happen, which made this news again, Martha. I mean, this is unbelievable timing. No, you know what? It's also interesting. Um, one of the New York Post reporters uh, who was really good, who's in the documentary, who was one of the first people on this story, Dan Kennedy, she says at the end of the documentary, I think there's another twist coming in this case, not knowing that this is this whole thing was about to brew. So it's pretty extraordinary. The other thing is this guy's got financial crimes. So he didn't just have a bad day. He faces 130, I think, other counts for stealing money. And he admitted that he stole millions of dollars from people on the stand as part of the murder trial. So he is unlikely to not spend the rest of his life behind bars, um, given all of these counts. But we'll see what happens. All right. Uh, And Martha, who's on your show today at three? So, as I said, we're going to talk to Jim Griffin, who is Alec Murdoch's attorney, about how much evidence they really have that these things happen and whether or not this will be overturned. Uh, we're also going to – did you know that Harvard was named the worst school in the country for free speech yes. by fire? So, I mean, think about the founders of Harvard, right? I mean, these great, you know, sort of august Americans who founded one of this great – country's great academic institutions. And now it's 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 rock bottom and on free speech, one of the tenets of the U.S. Constitution. And we're also watching this. We're going to have a 3 o'clock news conference in this – murderer who escaped from prison and now they they're expanding the three mile circle that they're looking for him in and he's somewhere on the run so we're going to get the an update at three o'clock as to where how that manhunt is going in pennsylvania all right so we have all those things coming up in the we have three minutes uh in our segment so let me talk about the 2024 what do you think about this book that came out on joe biden we don't know almost anything that's been happening we're Trump, for example, if he was having a bad day or volcanic temper, we got it. We understood. You know, every day we had leaks, news, Trump himself. With the president, he doesn't sit down for interviews, hasn't sat down for the longest time, no press conference, screams things at the helicopter, says no comment instead of uh, commenting on disasters. And now we find out that this book uh, that is a tell-all, unparalleled access to his tight inner circle, shows a volcanic president who does not want to talk to people, people want to avoid. Also, it's important to bring up the whole play-by-play in Afghanistan. Even worse than I thought. Never put the time in to study it to come up with this ridiculous evacuation plan. Yeah, there's a lot in there. Um, that The Afghanistan issue, when you look at the president's approval numbers, that's really the turning point. That's when he starts to lose his traction with the American people. Never got over 50 percent since. Yeah. So it's it's a big and I, I think you're going to see a lot of it discussed, obviously, throughout the 2024 election. Those families, when you look at their testimony of the families who lost those. And, and uh, do you know those families young went, men and to, women. Uh, went to Bedminster yeah. and had dinner with the president? Yeah. And you know where the president's going? I, the former president, Iowa, Iowa State, and then yes, to West Point. And to West Point. Yeah, no, I think that the former president is is playing this in a way that will benefit him. And obviously getting indicted seems to work really well for him, too. And Palestine, um, this Ohio. This is why politics are so interesting, right? <laughs> but I really maintain that there there's going to be some sort of interesting twist in this. I'll, I'll do what uh, the woman in the documentary did. I'm going to say there's another twist coming in this story. I do not think that we will ultimately see a Biden-Trump matchup. I have no idea what's going to happen, but something usually does. And we'll see if, if uh, how it plays out. But, yeah, that's... That, that book is very damning for the president, and I think it points out a lot of um, uncertainties that people sort of already have and puts some meat into them. One point I want to bring up to you. They keep saying – President Biden says my predecessor, the mighty builder, didn't build a damn thing. Yeah. Do you know the infrastructure week became a joke? you know why infrastructure week became a joke? 
Because every time he rolled it out, there was some Russia allegation that threw everything, just stormed over it. And now we know Russia was a complete folly engineered by Jake Sullivan, Hillary Clinton and company. And Jake Sullivan's out screwing up this version of foreign policy. Yeah. No, he had an enormous, unprecedented burden on him every single day of every week. Uh, And I knew that would happen. The, the, The minute he won, I thought, this is never going to end. They yeah. will come after him forever. Um, so we'll see. It's, I think it's absolutely fascinating. But uh, the president, two-thirds mm. of Democrats think he's too old to run. That's a pretty big number. Are you going to watch me on Outnumbered, or have you had enough of me? I will be watching you on Outnumbered. Would you tell everyone else to quiet down? I'm closing the door. <laughs> <laughs> no. You have to get ready for your show. I, Martha hesitated. For the record, uh, well, she's going to keep the door open. <laughs> Thanks, Martha. Thanks, guys. More to know next. radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm going to be on Outnumbered in about 10 minutes, so if you watch me on the channel, I'll be wearing the same thing I wore on Fox and Friends. I'll put my jacket on, I promise. But it made me wonder, before I leave, should I find out if there's more for you to know? More to know. So I love the Manning cast, and guess what? ESPN and Omaha Productions, that's owned by uh, Peyton and Eli Manning, are adding something to their coverage beginning September 11th on Monday night. New three-dimensional technology for Peyton to interact, uh, and Eli to interact through throughout the telecast. Peyton and Eli will introduce a new technology. Fans will have the ability to watch Peyton demonstrate routes, formations, offenses, and defense strategies. The touchscreen will be utilized periodically throughout each telecast. My only one complaint, sometimes you miss like a whole quarter, you know, because they're talking yeah, you're more to, concentrated you know, they're on talking to some celebrity. Doing. Yeah. Yep. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, I always thought that Peyton Manning would be a coach because he loved the intricacies of the game so much. And then I thought, okay, he's going to be a great analyst. Said no to both. He's doing his own thing. Again, pretty amazing. Next, ex-Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who, who was just terrible, an epic fail in Chicago. Guess what? Harvard says you're the perfect professor for us. Lecturing students on how to run a city and deal with the media during a crisis. Maybe she'll say, remember, only address reporters the same color as you. And don't forget to put down cops instead of blaming people who actually steal things. And don't forget to focus on yourself and your hairstyle during the pandemic. Because people want to be proud of their good-looking mayor. These are the types of things you can only get now if you go to Harvard. I hope there's an online course, because then I would love to take it. Right. I'm going to see what I can do, Pete. I'm going to throw my name around. Uh, Top scientists say he deliberately omitted a key fact in the climate change piece he just had published in the prestigious journal to ensure more editors ran it. That 80% of wildfires are started by human beings. That, according to Patrick T. Brown of Hopkins, two of the most prestigious scientific journals, now put his paper in because he left that stuff out. In an article, the Free Press Brown likened the approach to the way the press focuses so intently on climate change as the root causes of wildfires, including the recent fires in Hawaii. Brown gave the example of a paper he recently authored called Climate Warning Increases Extreme Daily Wildfire Growth in California. Brown laid out his claims in an article called I Left Out the Full Truth to Get My Climate Change Paper Published. What does that tell you? They it, just want one-sided. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Why are people so afraid of finding out that they're wrong or something's got to be changed? There was a hurricane in Florida. Climate change. There were fires in Greece. Climate change. There were fires in Hawaii. Climate change. It got cooler than ever in California. Climate change? Oops. 
It was great in New York. Climate change, oh, that doesn't make any sense. It actually rained in California. No more drought. Climate change, uh, I don't know if I could say that. Hard to explain. Uh, it is a religion, and people lose identity if they don't do it. Meanwhile, NFL legend Joe Montana and his neighbors are suing San Francisco, the city of San Francisco, over a massive flood of sewage that sent millions of gallons of toxic fecal matter through their idyllic Bayside homes. Uh, Montana, nearly 60 residents of the city, priciest neighborhoods, who claim they failed to, to maintain its antiquated wastewater system. Much of it ran down the bay through the one low-lying marina district, which houses homes uh, on average of $2.6 million. San Francisco falling apart with crime and falling apart with infrastructure. Nancy Pelosi really delivers. And former Mayor Gavin Newsom really performed. Keep up the great work, everybody. Next, a Texas real estate mogul allegedly made millions of dollars by selling vast swaths of local farmland to uh, a Chinese billionaire uh, with close ties to Beijing. The trades have sparked fury among ranchers in Valverde County with sun, with, uh, where some where Sun brought more than 130,000 acres of farmland for an estimated $110 million. And I'm talking about this guy's name is Sun Goy Gin, a former captain of the Chinese military. Can someone thought probably in Texas, if they're not thinking of America first in Texas, we're all doomed. Someone should stop that. It's not in our best interest to let that happen. Uh, lastly, Aaron Rodgers praises Jovac Djokovic's anti-vax stance in a post from the U.S. Open. And now Jets quarterback says he seemed to applaud Djokovic's decision to not get vaccinated against COVID-19. Uh, that's part of what Rodgers did. Uh, he stayed out. He was criticized. Not allowed to practice with his team, remember? And now well, for everyone forgot that. Rodgers didn't. Rodgers was right. My goodness. Feels so much better having done this. Now you get to watch me as I scramble downstairs in one minute and I go on television. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.